At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the Book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you. How many thank God for Pastor Lee? You could be seated in the presence of the Lord. I have my condolences to that of Pastor Lee uh, concerning the passing of Chuck. Chuck was a good man. He patted my face many a day as well. Uh, he was a man who was a constant encourager. And we're going to do all we can to honor his life and legacy. Uh, but how many thank God that we get a chance week after week, no matter what happens throughout the week, to gather together to remember, to remember God's goodness, his faithfulness, his mercy, and his love. And how many today can declare that God is good? Amen? Amen. Well, this morning, I am uh, delighted to share the word of God with you, albeit with a sense of almost apology, if you will. Uh, and this is how I felt, and I'm sure the rest of our teaching team, as we have journeyed uh, through these uh, several weeks through the Book of Lamentations. It's almost like every time we go to the Book of Lamentations, there's a temptation in my heart to want to apologize because this is not the typical summer series. It is certainly not light or easy. It is a, a heavy, heavy book with much value, much to teach us about God and much to teach us about ourselves. It's been said, though, that Lamentations might be the hardest book in the Bible for most people to find. Now, it's not that Lamentations moves at all. It is always sandwiched between Jeremiah and Ezekiel, but it is hard for many believers to find simply because we're not looking for it. But the reality is that 100% of us that are gathered together in this room today are carrying some type of heaviness. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's concerning your health. Maybe it's because of a relationship that has been broken. Maybe it's just simply because you lament the injustices of the world. But the question around that, that we have to uh, ask ourselves is, what do we do with the heavinesses of life? What do we do with our dark days? Many of us have been trained on how to celebrate God's goodness, but many of us have not been trained on how to take our pains, our frustrations, the brokenness, the anger we feel about the personal brokenness in our own lives or the, again, brokenness in the world because of sin and injustice. How do we process that? And the question that I want to deal with this morning is, why journey through the book of Lamentations at all? Why spend several weeks looking at uh, a book that talks about pain and judgment and suffering? What value is it in studying this book? Why is the the Bible contains such a book. And in order to answer that question, I want to quote from a, a very uh, sacred piece of American literature, uh, a movie called The Princess Bride. Anybody ever heard of that, that movie before? One of my absolute favorites. Now, my wife always warns me, be careful when you quote a movie because that's a blanket endorsement. So, uh, But I like this one. It's 1987 classic The Princess Bride and uh, the dread.
dead pirate Roberts. He has this quote. His name is Wesley in the movie. He has this quote. He is speaking to the king. He says, life is pain, your highness, and anyone who tells you differently is selling something. That's a heavy statement, but there's a mercy, I think, found within that quote from the princess bride, that life does have a pretty significant portion of pain. You live long enough and you will experience the loss of friends and loved ones, the tragic loss of people that seems inexplicable. I think it's a little bit easier for us when we see the loss of someone who has lived a long life. It is much harder for us to process the death of someone young. It is much harder for us to process what seems to be unjustified evil that's being perpetrated in many ways uh, on many lives around the world. Life is so full of pain, but here is the mercy in it all. I think that Wesley in the movie is right, that anyone who tells you differently is trying to sell you something, and that's precisely the point. The Bible's not trying to sell you something. Christianity is true, and part of the way that we know that it's true is it doesn't just give us ice cream and rainbows. It doesn't just tell us some fanciful story, but no, throughout its pages we encounter the inconvenient truths that life has valleys. But here is the greater truth of it all, is that God is with us in the valley. David, the king of Israel, the prophet king of Israel, declares it this way, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because God is with me. How many praise God for that, that God is with us? So I invite you to join me. Uh, We are in the midst of chapter 3 of the book of Lamentations. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse uh, 25. And today what we're going to learn is how to lament properly over the injustice and brokenness in the world. And what we're going to learn is that lament, lament is given to us as a means to weep with those who weep. The Bible tells us to weep with those who weep. And it's important for us to remember one of the most significant literary aspects of this book is the fact that this prophet poet who is writing this uh, poetic uh, lament to the Lord is weeping not just because of his personal pain, but because of the pain he is seeing in Israel. Israel is under God's judgment. They're experiencing starvation. They were devastated by external army. They are experiencing what it means to now be a slave people to the enemy nation of Babylon. And he looks at the desolate city and he weeps. But, but I want you to notice also the shift in voice. The shift in voice as you read throughout this. What do I mean by voice? Well, he goes from uh, the, the third person voice to the first person voice. In the third person voice, you are simply a distant observer. Consider for just a moment, if you could, go back to chapter one and verse number one. Chapter one, verse number one, he starts with these words. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. Notice the third person there. He is distant from it. He is observing it. He is watching it. It's a sad reality that he seems to be detached from. Oh, but how the language changes to the first person. The voice changes as you go to chapter 3, verse 1. Turn there with me. Chapter 3, verse number 1. 
He says it this way. No longer is he just looking at the city from a distant perspective. He says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without, my, uh, without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. I'll stop there, but you get the sense that now he is going from distantly watching pain and affliction to experiencing it himself. And this answers a pretty profound question for me, why pain? Why does a good God allow pain to enter into our lives? Theologians and philosophers have tried to answer this question throughout the centuries, and there's no one answer. There's no silver bullet that blanketly answers it all, but I want to give one reason why, one reason why. And it is a reason that many of us may not like or be fond of, but it is true, and that is not all of our pain is for us. Not all of our pain is because of us. Sometimes God allows you to experience pain so that you can enter into the sufferings of others, so that you can have greater sympathy and empathy, so that you might be able to identify with the pains of others. Let's be honest, when we have not identified what it means to be hurt or rejected or neglected or to suffer loss, it is easy for us to be judgmental of people's actions or words or responses. But when you've been there before, you read Job differently. When you've been there before, you find yourself far less judgmental. You find yourself far more sympathetic when you've experienced pain yourself. And it shouldn't surprise us that our, our God would have us to experience what feels like unmerited pain because this is also the God that gives us unmerited grace, undeserved favor. And this is also the God that gives us the cross of Christ. And on the cross of Christ, we see a king who received unjustified pain. But he did it not because of his need for salvation, but because of our need for salvation. So how do we lament? Well, there are certain elements that helps us throughout, and we've been learning how to properly take our sorrows to the Savior. Today, I want to just teach you three more of those uh, elements. And the first is this, is that we need to remember the heart of God. We need to remember the heart of God. Look with me to verse number 25, verse number 25, and then we'll skip down to verse 31. It says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Jump down to verse 31 with me. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. What a powerful passage. Uh, right here, as we get to the third chapter of Lamentations, we are smack dab in the middle of the book. We are sandwiched between uh, two poems that preceded this that really spoke of intense national pain and suffering and two more that are, are to come beautifully aligned with the Hebrew alphabet, 22 verses, uh, each one thoroughly explaining the pain, not hiding it at all, but right in the middle, so poetically, the prophet poet speaks of the love of God. 
and the hope that he has. Even in the midst of suffering, he has hope. But why does he have hope? It's because of verse 25, he remembers the character of God. Notice how he opens, notice how he refers to God after declaring to God, you have judged us, you have emptied the city, you have even allowed your own temple to be ransacked. God, you have made us the laughingstock of the nations. And oh, by the way, let's not forget, he acknowledged that they deserved it. Over and again, the prophet poet says, it's because of our sins. You gave us plenty of time to repent. You gave us plenty of time to change, but we didn't. And so what does he say here? Here's where his hope is found in the fact that the Lord is good. Have you trained yourself to say that? You know, the time to learn or to uh, train yourself is, is not really in the midst of pain, but it's in the good times. It's in the habit of declaring that God is good every day of your life. If you train yourself to do that, to declare that God, you are good, when the difficult times come, your soul will already be disciplined to acknowledge the character of God. And part of what he's teaching us here is how to acknowledge the character of God even when our circumstances are painful or don't make sense to us. It's kind of like this. We have to learn how to trust the heart of God when we can't track the hand of God. There are going to be certain times when you can't track his hand. You don't understand what he's drawing here. Now, make no mistake about it. We know the end of the story. We know that he is making a masterpiece. We know that by the time he is done, this God who is an artist of all artists, he promises he will make all things new and all things beautiful. And the heavens will declare his glory and the angels will declare how wonderful he is. And even all the nations and tribes will cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But when you're in the midst of the artist's work, sometimes it's not clear what he's making. Sometimes it's confusing. And so when you can't track the hand of God, you have to train yourself to trust the heart of God. And what does he tell us about the heart of God? I think it's significant as we go down to uh, verse number 33, he says, for he does not afflict us from his heart. He doesn't punish us from his heart. What does that mean, he doesn't punish us from his heart? It is, it is his way of saying, the prophet poet's way of saying, God takes no pleasure when he has to punish us. Now punish us he will, and it's because of the first part that he just declared. Because of his goodness, he has to punish us if we are unrepentant. He has to deal with injustice. Israel had continually, in spite of God's warnings, continued to mistreat the poor. They had continued to pervert justice. They had continued to uh, take advantage of the widow and the orphan, and yet God again and again gives him space and time to repent. Now, because he is good, he has to deal with sin. Uh, one theologian put it this way, that the greatest blessing and the greatest problem that man has is the goodness of God. It's a problem on one hand because he can't just overlook our sin, and because we are all sinners, that is our greatest problem. 
but it's a blessing on another hand because of the goodness of God, he makes a way for repentance and salvation. How many thank God that he is good? But as we get to verse number 31, uh, 33 rather, we learn about his heart. He does not discipline us from the heart. And what that means, it's again the prophet poet's way of saying that even when he has to discipline us with his hand or distance from us relationally, his heart is always with us. It's kind of like this. When I was younger, my mother used to say this crazy statement to me. Every time I would get in trouble or every time she would have to punish me, she would look at me and say these words that made no sense to me. Son, this is going to hurt me. Oh, you know the rest of it. More than it hurts you. And I couldn't do the math. I'm telling you, I tried to calculate it all growing up, but now I'm a parent of my own. And I look at those kids, and the worst thing about it is when you got a kid that looks like you. And they're looking back at you, you know, I got a son. His name is Judah. He looks just like me. I'm telling you, every time he gets in trouble, I almost have to look away while I'm reprimanding him. The cuteness grips you. But now I understand what my mother was trying to communicate. That, it, that it's my desire that our relationship would be full of joy and happiness and laughter. I don't like these reprimand parts. I don't, I don't like these discipline parts, but discipline I must in order to help you to grow and to prevent you from encountering an even harsher pain. I praise God now for my mother's discipline, the discipline of, of teachers, the discipline of my dad, the discipline that I had to learn if I was going to make it through school. I thank God for those bosses that were hard on me but loved me enough to tell me the tough truths that made me grow even in my profession. One of the ways you know you've matured in Christ is when you can thank God, not just for the compliments, but you can thank God even for the discipline, knowing knowing that his heart is with us even in pain. I don't know where your pain is today. I was talking to a young lady earlier this week who had to deliver her child stillborn. I don't know that pain, but I can only imagine that is a deep, deep pain. I don't know where you might be today. Maybe you have lost a loved one. Maybe you have experienced a doctor's report that you uh, are absolutely shaken by. I don't know your pain today. It's been said uh, that a parent is only as happy as their saddest child. Maybe today your heaviness is not your own. Maybe it's the heaviness of a child that you love, that you have poured into, and they just cannot seem to get on the right track, or if they do, it seems for only a season, and they're back in the grips of pain. But what I do know is that even in the midst of it all, he loves us. And how many praise God for that, that he loves us? Well, uh, he goes on, and if we could, we're just going to jump around. Far too many verses for us to go through uh, each one. But can we go to verse number 55? And we learn a second thing about lament, and that is that if we're going to lament correctly, we have to cry, carry our cry to the Lord, rather. In verse number 55, he says this. He says, 
I call on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. That's significant. We'll come back to that. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me. The lips uh, and thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. Here, the prophet poet now is embodying, if you will, the city or the nation of Israel, and he is talking about how the other nations around have been used to discipline them. He feels as if Israel have gone from being on God's mountaintop to now, he declares in verse number 55, that they are in a pit. It feels like they're in a pit. They're being taunted. They're being made fun of. They're, they're being assailed. It seems like affliction is all around them, and this is the pain that they're in. But I want you to see two things very quickly. The first thing that I want you to see is how he starts, verse 55, I called on your name, O Lord. I called out to you. We're going to have pain. We're going to have heartbrokenness. But what do you do with that? We have two options. We can run from God or we can run to God. Over and again, the Bible never tells us to hide our pain. It never says don't cry. It simply says cry to the Lord. Cry out to him. Lord, this hurts. Lord, I feel like I'm in a pit. Lord, don't you see all of the mistreatment that I'm experiencing? Lord, why? Lord, how? Lord, when? These are all big questions that the human heart wrestles with when we are experiencing not just moments of suffering, but seasons of suffering. But my encouragement to you is not to run for the Lord. We only complicate and multiply the pain and the afflictions of our lives when we run from him. There is nothing good to be found in life without Jesus. You know, I think often about, man, how much I praise God that I have a Savior as I traverse through this fallen world. How many thank God you have a Savior, a friend who sticks closer than any brother? How many praise God for Jesus? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pains we bear. All because we do not take it to the Lord in prayer. Carry your cry to the Lord. But what I love about verse 57, maybe in my opinion, the second most glorious verse in all of this book is verse 57. Because up until now, God has been silent. Up until now, we have heard from the prophet poet about the sufferings of the city and his own sufferings. We have heard about God's judgment and the sin of Israel, God's justification in judgment, the pain of the nation. We have even heard the prophet talking about his own physical, spiritual, and emotional pain and brokenness. And it's as if God, in the midst of that vacuum of pain, speaks. And his words reverberate throughout our soul. And what does God say when he opens his mouth and ends the silence? Verse 57, you came near when I called on you. 
you said, do not fear. So consistent with God. Over and again throughout Scripture, when God encounters humanity, what does he say to them? Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. The suffering is but for a moment, producing within you a more eternal weight of glory. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because I have not abandoned you. Don't be afraid because I see your tears. Don't be afraid because I love you and my love is unfailing. He could have said so many things. He could have said, you deserve this, and he would have been justified. He could have said to them, you know you were wrong, right? And he would have been correct in saying that. But he doesn't come to them in lecture. He doesn't speak to Israel with the sense of vengeance. He says to them words of comfort. I do believe he's saying that to us today. Our church is far too big for me to know the intimate details of uh, the personal lives of everyone who is here. What life has taught me, what I do know to be true, is again, 100% of us are carrying some form of pain. And I don't believe it's a mistake that you're here today. I believe that God is speaking to you, speaking to us, just like he speaks to Israel. I believe that God is coming alongside, grabbing your hand, and simply saying, do not be afraid. Can you receive his words today? What I find to be beautiful about this is the prophet was able to hear the voice of the Lord precisely because he did not run from him, but he ran to him. He gave him his lament. We need to learn that. This is a lost skill the church needs to recapture. But there are some modern-day examples of it. I ran across one uh, this week. I asked the uh, media team if they could uh, put a photo on the screen for me. I don't know if you have seen this, uh, this photo. Uh, maybe they can put it up for me of this young lady. Anybody seen this young lady uh, this week? Some of you are clapping. Others of you are confused. Let me uh, close the gap here. Her name is uh, Jane uh, Marzuski. And uh, she goes when she sings by the name Nightbird. She is a graduate of Liberty University, and she recently was a contestant on America's Got Talent. Now, I know all of you follow that show, but for those who may not, let me just tell you, it's a show where obviously there's prize money, but I think the biggest appeal is the fame of it. People with talent come on, and if you're able to win, you capture attention and go on to potentially great career success. You can put her picture back up on the screen for just a moment, because this picture is from her audition her audition before this panel of famous judges. And this is the way that it works. There's the audition round where you're hoping that you'll be selected to go on to the live performances in L.A. And it's four judges, and the four judges have to either all agree to send you on or each one of them during the auditions round are given what's known as a golden buzzer. Again, I know you guys all know what this is, but please indulge me for just a moment. The golden buzzer is something that each judge has, and they use it. It's a special thing. It's a coveted thing. You use it sparingly, but if you want to override all the rest of the judges, doesn't matter what they say, you hit that golden buzzer, that person automatically goes on to the uh, live performances. Well, this young lady came and not only sang a song that I will not do a rendition of because I love you, but she told a story. 
The song was an original song, and she told the story of the last year of her life, her battle with cancer and even more. I did a little research on her and I found a social media post that she simply entitled, God is on the bathroom floor. And it's, a, it's, it's just a post really about what the last year of her life has been like, but for me, it is a modern day lament. It is an example of what it means for us to cry out to the Lord or to carry our cry to the Lord. She simply says this, on March 9th on her Facebook page, I do not remember most of autumn because I lost my mind in late summer. And for a long time after that, I wasn't in my body. I was a light bulb buzzing somewhere far. Now remember the poetic language that is used throughout uh, the book of Lamentation sometimes uses metaphor to describe the depths of pain. And I think she does that throughout this particular lament. It's too long for me to read it all, so I'll just read some excerpts. She says, after the doctor told me I was dying and after the man I married said he didn't love me anymore, I chased a miracle in California and 16 weeks later I got it. The cancer was gone, but when my brain caught up with it all, something broke. I later found out that all the tragedy at once had caused a physical head trauma and my brain was sending false signals of excruciating pain and panic to my body. Can you imagine that? She goes on to say, I spent three months propped against a wall. On the nights that I could not sleep, I laid in the tub like an insect, staring at my reflection in the shower knob. The bathroom floor became my place to hide, where I could scream and be ugly, where I could sob and eventually doze off, happy to be asleep, even with my head near the toilet. She goes on to explain why. She says, I have had cancer three times now, and I, have, and I am barely past 30 years of age. There are times when I wonder what I must have done to deserve such a story. I fear sometimes that when I die and meet God that he will say I, am disappo I have disappointed him or offended him or failed him. Maybe he will just say I just never learned a lesson or that I wasn't grateful enough. But one thing I know for sure is this, he can never say that he did not know me. I love this part. She says, I am God's downstairs neighbor, banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at his door every day, sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses, sometimes with apologies and gifts, questions and demands. Sometimes I use my key under the mat to let myself in. Other times I sulk outside until he opens the door to himself and lets me in. I have been angry with God and I have meant it. I have wanted to die and I have meant it. Tears have been the only prayer I know. Prayers roll over my nostrils and drip down my forearms. They fall to the ground as I reach for him. These are the prayers that I repeat night and day, sunrise and sunset. You can call me bitter, she says, if you want, that's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the hardened, but count me also among the friends of God. For I've seen him in rare form. I have felt his exhale, laid in the shadow, squinted to read the message he wrote for me, even on the bathroom floor. If an explanation would help me, he would write one for me, I know it. But maybe an explanation would only start an argument between us, and I don't want to argue with God. She goes on to see, say, I see mercy in the dusty sunlight. 
and I learn a new prayer, and I have learned a new prayer, the prayer is simply this, thank you. It's a prayer that I don't mean yet, but will repeat until I do. Call me cursed, call me lost, call me scorned, but that's not all. Call me chosen and blessed, sought after. Call me the one that God whispers his secrets to. I am one whose belly is filled with loaves of mercy that, um, with loaves of mercy that were hidden just for me. This is a beautiful post. I shared it on my Facebook page, and I rarely, if ever, tell you to check it out, but it's worth two or three minutes of your time. What I love about this is that there is raw honesty, and if lament teaches us anything, if the book of Lamentations teaches us anything, it is this poetic honesty. It is the ability to go to a God who is big enough to handle it and to say to him, this hurts and I don't like it but to hear God respond and say, I know it does, but I love you. And in some ways, this particular lament is a reminder to us that even on the bathroom floor, she refers to it, even as the valley as David, the king of Israel refers to it, God is with us there. Let me give you one final point and then we'll go home together. And it says um, in verse number uh, 66, if we could, 64, rather, that we're to wait on the Lord because he will carry out justice. Look at what it says. You will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. You will curse. Your curse will be on them. Verse 66, you will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. This is a pattern throughout the Psalms, about one-third of the Psalms is lament. This is a pattern throughout the prayers of Israel that it's okay for us to pray that God would vindicate us. It's okay for us to pray that God would execute his judgment on those who perpetrated evil on us. This is exactly what he was doing. He was simply praying for God to be just. What I love about it is twofold. First, he doesn't take matters into his own hands, but rather, in a legal sense, he refers the case to God. He says, God, you are far more just than I am. I'm not going to retaliate or return evil for evil. That's foolhardy. Trying to inflict punishment on somebody that you feel like hurt you only puts you in the wrong. How many times have you seen, maybe in sports or maybe even among your kids, that it's the person that not, not the person who initiates the altercation, but the person who retaliates and gets in trouble? And so often this is the case. And so instead of running that risk of getting the matter even worse, he refers it over to God saying, God, I know that you will vindicate me. Or maybe even more accurate is the fact that this is more of a question or a prayer God, do you see me? Will you vindicate me? But let me just highlight what his hope was. His hope was a narrow hope. He was hoping for the restoration of national fortunes. He was hoping for Israel as a nation state to be restored. What he didn't realize is that God had something far bigger in mind. You see, God would vindicate his people. God would ultimately deal with evil. But it wasn't just going to be for 
the nation of Israel, but what he did in Christ on that cross as he bore our griefs and our sorrows and our sins is he was making a pathway for restoration and salvation for all people, from, for people who would believe and put their faith and trust in him to receive the unmerited grace that can heal our hearts from the pains of living in a broken and fallen world. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, have we received that grace? Have we heard the voice of the Lord saying, come to me if you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest? That's what he offers to us today. And so as we, in this chapter, preparing to go next week into chapter four, I think it's proper for us to end where I think the prophet poet would have us to end, and that is to look to God with our lament. And I want you to stand with me today. I said earlier, I don't know what pain you carried into this place, but I do know this, he is with you and that he loves you. And so as we get ready to close, it won't be with song today, it simply will be with prayer. I do want to remind you that we uh, as a church want to care for you. I'm grateful for the deacons, the deaconesses. They're a part of our fellowship, the elders on this campus. You'll see some of them every week uh, at the front after our worship gathering ends, and they're here specifically to pray for you, to connect you to God, to answer your questions about the gospel. Most of all, to remind you of God's great love and mercy expressed through the cross of Christ after we're done with prayer if you are going through an extraordinary painful season of life and you need further ministry, please don't hesitate. Come to the front. They'll be here to pray with you. But let's bow our heads, maybe just surrendering our hearts to the Lord. Maybe this is a moment where tears are appropriate. Maybe this is a moment where you say, God, I don't understand. Maybe it's an appropriate moment for you just to say, Lord, my heart is broken because he sees, he knows, he's with us and he loves us. Father, thank you that we can bring it all to you. Thank you that you want not just our celebration, but our suffering. That you invite us, even in the midst of our pain, and you remind us of your promise. Lord, I pray that today you would comfort our hearts, that you would remind us of your character, that you can be trusted, that you are good, and that you are a God of love. I pray that you would heal Heal the brokenhearted and give us the manna of mercy bread. Fill our hearts with the loaves of grace that you gave to Israel and that you offer to us now who believe in you in faith because of the cross of Christ. Thank you that we have redemption in him. We love you, Lord. Be with us even as we go. It's in Christ's name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.